But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us, a child has been born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Let's stand as we begin our time of singing. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel, that mourns in lonely exile until the Son of God appear. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel. Shall come to thee, O Israel. O come, O come, thou day spring, come and cheer our spirits by thine advent. Dispense the gloomy clouds of night And death's dark shadows put to flight Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel Shall come to thee, O Israel Oh, come, oh, come, thou wisdom from on high, and order all things far and nigh, to use the path of knowledge. 
it show and cause a sinner ways to go. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. Oh, come, oh, come, desire of nations, bind all peoples in one heart and mind. Bid envy, strife, and quarrel cease. Fill the whole world with heaven's peace. Rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. Shall come to the oasis, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Angels we have heard on high, sweetly singing o'er the plains, and the mountains in reply, echoing their joyous strains.
to Bethlehem and see Christ whose birth the angels see Come adore on bended knee Christ the Lord, the newborn King And Gloria in excelsis Deo
it's to our heavenly Lord that have made heaven and earth of not and within his blood mankind have children were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son and heir through God. Amen. What child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping who angels greet with anthem sweet while shed Watch our This, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels see.
Savior appeared. He saved us, not because of righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Oh, come all you unfaithful come, weak and unstable come, know you are not alone. Oh, come, barren and waiting ones, weary of praying come, see what your God has. is born, Christ is born, Christ is born for you. Oh, come, bitter and broken, come, with fears unspoken. Of his perfect love. Oh, come, guilty and hiding ones, there is no need to run. See what your God has done. Christ is born. Christ is born, Christ is born for you. 
Christ is born. Christ is born. Christ is born for you. He's a lamb who was given, slain for our pardon. His promise is the Lamb who was given, slain for our pardon, His promise is peace for all who believe. So come, though you have nothing, come, He is the offering, come, see what your God Christ is born, Christ is born, Christ is born for you. Christ is born, Christ is born, Christ is born for we come to you and thank you that you sent your son into a broken, dark, barren, weary world. And you sent your son not to leave the world in darkness or barrenness or brokenness, but you sent your son to redeem this broken, barren world, to bring the light of life in Jesus Christ to us. And Lord, your invitation now is for us to come to you, all who are broken, all who are barren, all who are weary. Lord, and you promise to give life through your son. You promise to, to make the barren whole again. You promise to, to mend the broken. You promise to make those who are dead in sin alive. You promise to give us your life for all who believe. So God, we come to you. We come to you this morning in faith, not in us, but in you and in your Holy Son. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Merry Christmas. We are so glad that you would join together with us today. My name is Matt Rawlings, one of the pastors here, and we are grateful that you would come and celebrate the coming of Jesus. This is what we're really celebrating today. And in case you are unfamiliar with what In Excelsius Day means, In Excelsius Deo, you're wondering, what, why are we singing Latin? Um, it, it means glory to God in the highest. And why we give glory to God in the highest is because he came from on high to be low. And he came to offer us his life through Jesus. And that's what we're celebrating today. And we just happen to actually be in the book of Luke. We started it last week. So turn your Bibles. If you have a Bible with you, please turn your Bibles to Luke 1. 
We'll be reading 26 through verse 38. This is God's holy word for us today. Let's read it together. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is God's word. You know, Christmas, it confronts us at the core of what we believe. It's meant to challenge the very core of our beliefs. It challenges us about what we believe is possible with God, not just in our history, but in our own lives. And the idea that we're going to see through this passage is that God is the one who makes the impossible possible. God is the one who makes the impossible possible. And that's what we're confronted with. And and it's meant to confront us in our lives today. Maybe you're here and you're thinking about your life. You're broken. You're weary. You're wounded. You're hurting. And you've relegated God to the sidelines. And you're thinking that surely it's not really possible for things to change. Surely I can't change, surely God can't change me. Or maybe you're thinking about other people or relationships or situations in your life and you're thinking, well, I've just gotten used to that. This scripture is meant to confront us and show us that God is the God who makes the impossible possible. Last week, we began looking at Luke, and and in that first passage of Luke, we see that an angel Gabriel, he's sent to a high priest called Zechariah, and Zechariah, he's won the lottery of priests, and he has gotten the opportunity to go in and offer incense in the throne room of God, and the angel appears to him and tells him this wonderful news that his son will be called John. John's going to be a forerunner. He's going to go ahead of Jesus, and he's going to be coming in the the spirit and the power of Elijah, and he's going to prepare a way for people to receive the Lord. But Zechariah, the priest who should have believed in Jerusalem, in the temple, in the place where you would expect it, to the person you would expect an angel to appear, he did not believe. And he asked, he says, how in the world can I believe this is going to happen? How do I know this is going to happen? Or, you know, I'm so old, my wife, she's so old, have you seen her? And he didn't believe, it didn't seem plausible to him. 
Even though the mighty messenger of Gabriel was sent to him in person, in God's presence, he did not believe that it was possible. He saw his situation. He saw his own life. He saw his wife's barrenness, and he thought, surely this can't be possible. But he should have believed. And the angel actually made, say, made him mute. He said, because you didn't believe, you're going to be mute. You know, I, I, I think sometimes when we think of Zechariah, we can think a little judgmentally and think, well, if I was the high priest and if I was there in God's presence and if an angel appeared to me, I would have believed. But yet we've actually received the very Son of God to earth and often we fail to believe in the daily stuff of life because we see our brokenness, we see our barrenness, we see our weakness, we see the areas of deficiency. Maybe you are struggling to believe. Now, where have you just accepted the way things are in your life? Where have you kind of embraced brokenness, weariness, woundedness? Where have you embraced areas where you feel like you can't change or other people can't change? Where do you struggle to believe in God? Or, or maybe a better way of putting it, where do you underestimate God? The Christmas account's meant to remind us that, that God is the God of the impossible. And it's meant to give us hope in, in the midst of what seems impossible. And if you look around the world, you think, surely the world can't change. It's getting darker. People around us are, are going far from God. And, and you become resigned. And you forget that God is the God who gives his son to make the impossible possible. And he comes to those who are low and in lowliness. That's what we see. In contrast to Zechariah, who's high as an exalted priest, he comes to Mary, who is low. And she's in a lowly area. She's in a land of lowliness. We saw the scripture earlier about the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, the land of Galilee, the forgotten place, the place that was barren. And this is exactly the kind of people God comes to. He comes to those who are low, who are needy. He comes to the barren. And the angel of Gabriel comes to announce that the light of the world is about to dawn. He's the same Gabriel that appeared to Zacharias. And you would have expected Gabriel to appear to somebody of note. After all, in the Old Testament, he appeared to Daniel. Daniel, who seems to have earned some credibility because Daniel, he resisted King Nebuchadnezzar. He resisted the, the command to not pray. Daniel, who in the lion's den, who God came to and delivered from the lions. Daniel appeared, I mean, Gabriel appeared to Daniel and told him about the end times. And so you expect, oh, he went to Daniel, he goes to Zacharias, and he's going to go to somebody notable, somebody who seems deserving, somebody who seems of great faith. And yet he comes to, of all people, a girl. And in those days, a young girl would not have been highly esteemed, especially an unwed woman. And, and he comes to an unwed woman in a place where nobody expected, a place that had long since been abandoned, can anything good come from Nazareth? And this is where the angel appears to Mary in Nazareth, this small backwater town in northern Israel. It would have been just as unexpected as, as, as hearing the news that our salvation has come out of Possum Kingdom and Pumpkin Town. And in case you don't know where Possum Kingdom is, it's just south of Pumpkin Town. In case you don't know where Pumpkin Town is, it's in a place you wouldn't have expected anything great to come from. And yet, that's what God does. He comes to lowly people in lowly places. He comes to the humble. He comes to the needy. Jerusalem would have been expected, but not Nazareth. And then he comes to this, this virgin 
This woman who was betrothed to Joseph. His family were the descendants of King David, but, but she was just betrothed. And, and that, that meant that her father had entered into a binding covenant with Joseph. And, I mean, and her betrothed entered into a binding covenant with her father, Joseph. I mean, ugh, I'm getting it all mixed up. Joseph entered into a binding covenant with her father. And into her doing a covenant, gave a dowry, and would have made an agreement. And she would have been set apart as if she was married. But she was not yet fully married. And, and she was waiting. She was waiting for the time when, when she would have her husband come and get her and take her back to her father's house. And instead of her husband coming, now this angel comes to her and says, something is going to happen to you. You're not yet married, but you're going to have the very son of God. He came to the unexpected. He came to the lowly in the midst of her lowliness. And he comes and he gives grace to those who are lowly. Not because they're deserving, but because they're needy. They're humble. And it says that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He comes and gives grace to those who are low. He says, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. He doesn't say because you've earned it, because you're so impressive, or Mary, because you're so great. He says, no, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. She's favored, she has God's grace because God is with her. He's announcing that God's grace is on her, and he greets her on the basis of God's grace to her, not what she's done. And that's true for each and every person here who receives God, that, that he comes to us and greets us on the basis of his grace towards us. That's how he relates to us, not on the basis of what we've done. It wasn't a wish, it wasn't a benediction. He didn't say, may the Lord be with you. It's unqualified. He says that the Lord is with you now. And she's, she's really freaked out. She's troubled. She's not freaked out that an angel came, but she's freaked out what he said was astounding. It was troubling. This appearance of the angel, and she couldn't figure out what did this word mean. And that's very much like Mary. All throughout the New Testament, you see that whenever she has hard news, she thinks about it. She tries to figure out what in the world could this mean. And the angel says, well, don't be afraid because you, and he repeats the same thing again. He says, you have found favor with God. In the midst of her confusion, the angel brings the peace of God's grace. And that's what he does for each and everyone here. Into our confusion, he speaks the grace of God. That's what gives us peace. She's found favor with God because his grace is on her. That's how we find favor with God. God sets his grace on us. We receive his grace and we find favor with him and we have peace with God. This is in contrast, by the way, and Luke means us to see, it's a contrast to Zechariah, this high priest. We have this young girl and God resists the proud but he gives grace to the humble. And her finding grace meant that she was chosen to, to know and to do something great. And it's often the case for all those who've received the grace of God. Mary must have been very humbled. She must have been so glad to hear. Could you imagine the news? That she had found favor or grace with God. That the Lord of heaven is with her. And, and that's really the message that each and every person who puts their faith in God, we can have God's grace with us. The Lord himself is with us. And that's the words that Jesus told his disciples. Peace, peace to you. That's what he speaks because he gives us his presence. He gives us his peace. And he gives you good news. And he says, you're going to conceive. You're going to bear a son. 
And that must have been great news. And he says, your son's going to be great. And what mom doesn't want to hear that their son is going to be great? And every mom, at one point in time, at least before they are toddlers, thinks that their child is going to be great and has grand visions and things change a little bit maybe when they hit the twos and threes and teenage years. And, and Mary gets great news. She says, your son will be great. And then he explains why. Because he's going to be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him a throne of his father David. This is the dream of dreams. This is amazing news. This is the fulfillment of all the major covenants of God in the Old Testament. The promise that God would give one who would sit on the throne of David. And of his kingdom there be no end. And now he's telling Mary, this is the one that will be in you. And then he says, his, his reign will never end. He'll reign over the house of Jacob, the house of Israel forever, and his kingdom will not end. There is no reach, no place where the kingdom of Jesus Christ will have a limit. We're meant to hear that. There's, there's no place where Jesus is limited. There's no place where his rule, his reign is limited. That's the good news that we celebrate at Christmas time. His kingdom, there will be no end. There's no limit to the brokenness that he will mend. There's no limit to the barrenness that he will make whole. There's no limit to the sins that he will forgive. There is no limit to his kingdom. Mary must have been floored. It was, it was far beyond her wildest dreams. And then she comes down to earth and she goes, well, I... I I believe it, but how in the world? How is this going to happen? She's unlike Zechariah who says, I don't really believe it because I'm really old. My wife's really old. And the angel kind of gets angry and says, well, you didn't believe. I'm going to make you mute. Mary instead says, I get it. How? Can you help me understand this? Because I'm, I'm, I'm a virgin still. It's not possible for me. But what we're going to see is that God came to do the impossible. God sent his son to do the impossible. Mary was told that, that your cousin Elizabeth has already conceived. She was already way too old. She was far past childbearing years. And the angel says, God already has done the impossible in your cousin. And he is going to do what's impossible in you. The very power of the holy God, most high, he's going to overshadow you. And she's not asking for a sign or confirmation or proof. She's just saying, how is this going to happen? Because in every other time in the Old Testament, whenever an angel gave an announcement, it was to somebody who was married. And so she's thinking, this has to be a miracle. This has to be something that's outside of me because this is physically impossible. It's physically impossible for someone who is not married, never been with a man, to conceive a baby. And Luke makes the point. He says, you know, she's a virgin, but not because she's more holy or more pure, but because he's trying to show that God creates life where life is not possible. And the angel tells her what's going to happen. He says, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. The power of the Most High is going to overshadow you. The child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. The very Spirit of God is going to miraculously overshadow her and create life. It's, it's beautiful imagery. And it kind of reminds us in the Old Testament in Genesis when the, the Spirit of the Lord hovered over the face of the deep. And then when God breathes his Spirit, he forms Adam from the dust of the ground. He breathed his Holy Spirit and made life. That's the same kind of miraculous thing that God's going to do. He's going to breathe life. His, his Holy Spirit's going to overshadow Mary and create brand new life. Something that's impossible. 
Listen, don't somehow think that you can be a Christian and not believe in the miraculous. Don't, don't try to sanitize your faith and think it's just about your ability to believe and works and, and what you can make sense of. Don't try to make Jesus, the miraculous one, fit your narrative. The Son of God, eternal, came and became a man, fully God and fully man, not losing his divinity and yet gaining humanity. And, and he was born impossibly to, to do the impossible. And Christmas and, and, and Christianity, it's all about believing the facts of the miraculous and believing that God is the God of the miraculous. He came miraculously and he was resurrected miraculously. That's what we believe. And in between, our whole life depends on the miraculous, doesn't it? It depends on him miraculously making us alive, him forgiving our sins, drawing us to him, working in us, giving us his Holy Spirit. Don't downplay the miracle of Jesus. Don't try to domesticate God to fit your narrative. Allow the narrative of Jesus to change your narrative to his. Because he's the God of the impossible. Elizabeth's barren state, the angel is telling her, was no obstacle to God. And the impossibility of, of Mary conceiving without a man, that although it's physically impossible, God is making it possible in her. And then he says something to her, something really that if you're going to walk away with one thing today, I hope you walk away with this statement in verse 37. He says, nothing, nothing, think about all the things you think are impossible right now. Think about that impossible relationship. Think about your impossible struggle with your own sin. Think about impossible brokenness. Think about whatever you're thinking is impossible. He says nothing will be impossible with God. Now you want to put some conditions around that because we think, well, maybe God's not going to do all these things. But, but I, I, this scripture is, doesn't have any conditions placed upon it. The angel's not proclaiming something with conditions. And we like to do that in our world. We like to, to take the miraculous we like to take what God says is possible and say, well, but maybe it won't happen. We like to put conditions around it, and yet there's no such conditions made here. He says, for nothing, no conditions, will be impossible with God. Nothing. Not only will nothing be impossible with God when it came to Mary, nothing will be impossible with God when it comes to the whole entire life of Jesus who came to do the impossible. It's not a guarantee, but it is a guarantee in God. It's not a guarantee that all things will be changed in this life. It is a guarantee, though, that all things will be changed for those who believe in him, whether in this life or the life to come. And where it was once impossible for those who are enslaved and in bondage to sin, who are under the kingdom of darkness, under the kingdom of the devil, that it's impossible for us to break free out of the kingdom of darkness on our own. God made it possible for us to be set free from our sin. God made it possible for us to no longer be slaves to sin. It wasn't possible for us to not be consigned to a life of death and to die apart from God. 
to be bound by the cords of death forever. It wasn't possible for us to be break free from that, and yet God did the impossible to come and set us free from the law of sin and death. It wasn't possible for us to pay for our sins. It was impossible. It is impossible. No amount of good works we do can ever pay for our sins. And yet Jesus came to do just that, the impossible. That's miraculous. It's good news. It wasn't possible for us who are sinful creatures to be reconciled to a holy, righteous God whose presence bears no sin. And yet Jesus came to do the impossible, to reconcile us to God, to bring us into the very presence of God. It's not possible for dead people to be made alive, and yet God came to send his son to make us alive. And if God can reconcile us to him and make us holy in his sight and make us alive in him, then truly nothing is impossible with God. Think about that with your life right now. It says in Romans, if God did not spare his son but freely gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? God is not hesitating. God is not restrained in any way. All things may not be completely right in this world, but we should not stop from believing and asking. That's what Christmas is to remind us of. We shouldn't stop believing and asking God to do the impossible because he's already done it. For with God, nothing will be impossible. And you think about all of Jesus' life and ministry, and maybe you don't know the story of Jesus, but in his life, he resisted the devil in every way. He resisted every form of temptation and was with, completely without sin. And not only that, he demonstrated all throughout the Gospels. And if you haven't read the Bible before, I, I'd encourage you, go and open the Bible up, read the book of John, read the book of Luke, read Matthew, read Mark, and you're going to see that all of Jesus' life and ministry was all about proving he's God of the impossible. Don't sanitize Jesus. Don't remove the miraculous and think you can be a Christian. No, to be a Christian means to believe that God's the God of the impossible. Jesus made the lame to walk. He made the deaf to hear, the mute to speak, the paralyzed healed. The lepers were made clean. He walked on water. He cast out demons. He calmed the storms with a word. He resisted temptations. He brought the dead to life. Is there anything that he can't do? The answer you should be saying is, no! Is there anything he can't do? And then he did the impossible by dying and bearing all of our sins. Taking the punishment that we deserved. And then the most impossible, he was resurrected on the third day, being brought to life. The beginning and the end of Jesus' story it reveals God's miraculous power to do the impossible, and surely nothing will be impossible with God. And the question is, will we believe it? Will we accept it? That's a question that we, we need to confront ourselves with. Will we believe that he's the God of the impossible? Will we believe that he is able to do what we think is impossible in our own lives, in, in our friends' lives, in our family's lives, in our children's lives? Will we believe that God is able to do what's impossible? In just a few minutes, we're going to receive communion, and the ushers can go ahead and pass it out. If you've placed your faith, if you do believe in Jesus Christ, and you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, then we encourage you to join with us. If you have not yet, then we just say, hey, let it go by and watch it as it passes and and listen to what's happening. And, And as we're receiving it, I want you to think, will I believe? Do I believe? 
And he's the God of the impossible. Do I believe that with God, nothing is impossible? You see, Mary's response needs to be our response. Mary's response is the kind of response we're intended to have. Mary didn't argue. Do you see what she says in verse 38? Mary says, behold, I am the servant or the slave. She immediately submits herself. She hears God's word. She hears this good news that God, with not, with, for nothing will be impossible with God. And then she responds. She says, I'm your servant. She submits And then she puts her faith actively in God. She submits to his word. She submits to what she doesn't understand, but she knows that God says is true. And then she says, let it be to me according to your word. Not according to what I do, not according to what I think is possible, but let it be to me according to your word. And then the angel left. She didn't understand everything, but she knew that God was good, and she trusted in the Lord to do what is good. She accepted what God said to the angel. She didn't need more information. Now, we've been given so much more information. We've seen what Mary could not see. We've seen the, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. We've also seen the Holy Spirit be an operation in in our own lives, and and to transform other people's lives who are far gone. We've seen the impossible made possible in Christ. The question is, will you believe that? Do you believe that? Actively, not just mentally, but do you believe it? If you believe in the miracle of God sending his son, coming as a baby, living a miraculous life in our place, dying in our place, being resurrected in our place, then that's what we're celebrating this morning. And Christmas is meant to be a celebration of the birth of Christ because he came to live, he came to die, he came to live again so that we might have life in him. And I want you to think about the questions I asked at the beginning. What areas of your life do you feel like can't change? What areas of your life do you feel like are impossible What do you think is impossible in your neighbors? What do you think is impossible in your friends, your relatives? What's the difficulties? What's the biggest challenges in your life right now? Where do you struggle? Or put it like I did at the beginning, where do you underestimate God? It's Christmas. I believe God wants us to believe anew through his spirit that he makes new life where there is no life. He makes possible what is otherwise impossible. And the bread that we're going to take together, what we're doing is we're remembering that on the night when he was betrayed, he broke bread and he handed it to his disciples. He says, take, eat. This is my body broken for you. We remember today the miraculous birth, the life, the death and the resurrection of Jesus for us. And that is what is food to us. That is what we feed on and remind ourselves of what's true. Let's take the bread together remembering that. By taking the bread, we're putting our faith in the fact that God came to miraculously make us alive, to to free us from sin, from bondage, from darkness, from shame, from fear, 
heal our brokenness, to restore our barrenness, to redeem us and to give us fellowship with him. And then in the, in the cup, this juice, it represents his blood. He says, I, this is the covenant in my blood. And what we're doing when we receive the juice is, is we're saying that, that we are receiving this new agreement that's not based on our sinlessness or our ability to perform. We're receiving a new covenant from him, a marriage covenant where, where we're the betrothed now and we're awaiting him to come to us. And it's based on the sacrifice of Jesus for us. Remember that he died so that we might live. That he's the perfect one who was killed for us. We might have life in him. Let's take and drink this together. Let's pray. Jesus, we celebrate that you have come into the darkness, into brokenness, into weariness. You've come into dysfunctional lives. You came when we were separated from God. You came to redeem us, to buy us back, to heal us, to make possible what was once impossible through Jesus Christ, your son. And God, I pray that that we would renew our faith in you, that with you, nothing will be impossible. God, I pray that for everyone who might not know you, that you would draw them to yourselves, that you would make them alive, that you enable them to respond. And Lord, I pray for each and every person here that that we would respond and put our faith, our trust in you today. Wherever we struggle to believe, Lord, I pray that you would help our unbelief. I pray that we might celebrate that you came to make us new, to give us life. In your name we pray. Let's stand and we're going to sing together. And we're going to sing joy to the world. And and we're singing joy to the world because that is what Jesus has come to give us, joy in him. So let's sing together. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive the King. Let every heart prepare Joy to the world, a Savior reigns. Let endless songs implore. While fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy, repeat the sounding joy, repeat, repeat the sound. No more let sin and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make His blessings flow, for as the curse is found, for as the curse is found, for as, for as the curse is found. Heroes the world 
with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of His righteousness wonders of His love and wonders of His love and wonders, wonders of His love and wonders of His love Lord, we rejoice that you have come for us, that you have come to reveal that you are the God the impossible things that you are not limited by what our minds construct by the same limitations that we have but you have come to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine and we see that front and center in your coming in your living a sinless life of dying for us being raised again to new life and now being seated the right hand of the Father. Lord, we rejoice that you have revealed these wondrous truths to us. Would they fill our gaze as we continue our Christmas weekend? Yes, Lord. And we remember how glorious you have revealed these mysteries to be. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for being with us grateful that we have this privilege to celebrate together. Now we're going to continue. We ask you to just linger with us. We have some refreshments out in the lobby, uh, maybe lunch. I mean, you decide what it is for you, but we look forward to just hanging out and continuing time of fellowship now. Thanks so much.